In Ezekiel 34, verses through to 15 and 16, in the Amplified Bible says this. This is speaking of the Good Shepherd. It's speaking of the work of the Lord, if you like. And within this text, the full gospel could be brought out. But let me just read it to you. I will tend to my flock. This is a good shepherd now. I will tend to my flock and make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bondage the crippled, and strengthen the weak and the sick. Not something. Father, we thank you, God, for your hand upon our lives. Lord, we thank you that we can look back, those who know you this morning, and say, you have been a good shepherd. Lord, you've, you've tended to us. God, when the briars of life has strangled us, Lord, you've gently removed them. Lord, when something's got into our foot, God, you cause pain. Lord, you, in your way, as a good shepherd, Lord, you tend to your people. Lord, you bring us through the, the rugged places of life. Lord, the, the cold, dark, wet places of the meadows, God, you guide us and bring us through, God. That's the shepherd. And Lord, no matter where we find ourselves this morning in life, Lord, that stands to be true throughout Scripture. But Lord, you are the shepherd. Lord, it's your work. Lord, the work that you began in us, you say you will complete. Lord, the lives that you're working on this morning that aren't yet saved, Lord, it's you who's working in them, God. And Father, we thank you for this understanding of the work of the Lord, God, who you are. And so, Father, I pray over each of our hearts this morning that, Lord, if above all things that we would know, despite where we are in life, that, Lord, you are our shepherd, and you are attending, Lord, to them wounds. Lord, you are removing them briars. God, you are the great shepherd of your church. Thank God. So, Father, I pray that you would bless us this morning, Lord, as we come before your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So, I have two thoughts, mainly this morning. Where I want to start off this morning is this, knowing our place in the war for souls, knowing our place in the work of the ministry. And the second one is protecting the work, protecting our ministry from satanic attack. So the work of the Lord, knowing our place in the war for souls, it's important that we do know our place and who we are and what our role is as believers. If you've ever had the privilege of leading a man or woman to the Lord, you'll have noticed that what had just taken place had very, very little to do with yourself. In fact, you feel completely blown away, but you know it was nothing to do with yourself. God just opens a heart. God just saves somebody. We have the privilege of helping them and guiding them. But what I've often noticed is the work has already been done. Yes, we get to help the person understand what, what has taken place. We guide them in discipleship. But we also understand that it was God that opened their hearts as he did Lydia's, saved them. It's the work of the Lord. And we are entering a new season, praise God, where we're bringing the gospel to our island. That's the desire of our leadership. We shared that about a year ago that we felt it's time to start going out into our community and letting, letting the gospel loose, if you like, and see what God will do. And as you've noticed, they're calling it the tent this morning, but I think a more spiritual word for this is the tabernacle. Our tabernacle is over here. And that is what we've started to go out into our community with. The tent mission is just the start of a new season. Please don't think this is going to be a, a bit of a bomb for a week and then finish. That, that is not the heartbeat of, of what we are here. This is the start of something that we plan to do each year, God willing. Not in the same place, but branch further afield out. It's our desire to do something every year. 
But in reaching the lost, this is what I want to bring to you this morning. It's easy to think that we are responsible for a person's salvation. But I just want to say to you that we're not. Because we can't save a soul. And you used to think that. It's my responsibility. And why can I not see anybody saved? Because salvation is of the Lord. Now we do have a role to play. Absolutely. The church is to sow the seeds of the gospel. She's to be praying and interceding for her land. In our living, we, we be a witness. In our testimony, we bring hope to others. But at best, what we do is point people to Jesus because we are powerless to save a soul. That's why it's so important that we each know our place in this great war of souls that we've entered into. The book of Jonah, and it's interesting that Jonah says this because in Jonah himself, he ran away from the call of the gospel. His responsibility was to bring the word to Nineveh. And what did he do? He, he, he ran away. And it wasn't that, Nineveh, or that Jonah could save Nineveh, but he had his role to play, and he didn't play his role. And we know the story. He found himself in the belly of the fish. And from the belly of the fish, this is what Jonah says. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He understood too, and he was taught a lesson, that even in this great ministry that he was called to, what he was do, called to do was to, call, to share the seeds of the gospel. But it was God who was going to do the saving. Now, as, a, as a younger man in my mid-twenties, I remember being in the prayer meetings in Armagh, the church that I attended when I got saved. And I recall the older men and women uh, praying. They were probably only in their 40s at that time, but they seemed old to me when I was in my 20s. But they were praying, Lord, we can't create an anxious thought. You've heard that. We can't create an anxious thought. Meaning that unless the Lord moves in the life of the unsaved, they'll not be saved. That was their understanding. This saying came from a body of believers that understood that they were powerless to save. And these mature believers, if you like, they knew their place in the battle for souls. And I know there's many here already do as well. But for some, you need to hear this. Free yourself from the burden that Christ never placed upon you. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord, not you or I. In Luke 19, Jesus says this. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, what does the Bible mean when it says a person is lost? Well, in Luke 15, there's the parable of the prodigal son. Listen to what is said, because this tells us a bit more about the meaning of what it is to be biblically lost. In that parable, Jesus says this, For this my son was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. So what I see here is that the parallel to being lost in the Bible is to be dead. Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. Now, this is important. Why? Because when we speak of reaching the lost, what we are attempting to do, church, is reach people who are spiritually dead with spiritually things. A person who is physically dead is unresponsive in every way. A person who's not saved, not born again, is also unresponsive in every way in the things pertaining to God. Now, I'm sure you've noticed you can talk to most men about football, farming, work. That's probably about the, the level of it for men. You can talk to most women. I was going to say about makeup and stuff, but I've never actually spoke to a woman about makeup. But there you go. Most things you can talk to women about. That's a safer approach. Uh, new hairdo, rugby. Aren't, isn't women doing really well at the rugby at the minute? 
man, I don't know, they don't even need us anymore. They're taking over the football, they're taking over the rugby, but anyway, thank God for you, ladies. But what you will notice when we speak to people about these things who aren't saved, it often leads to a meaningful conversation. Now, speak to a lost man about Christ. The conversation can often run dry. To be lost is to be spiritually dead and therefore unresponsive to the things of God. That's why we can't save a soul. That's why we say we can't create an anxious thought in the mind of the unsaved. That's why it's important that no believer feels it's their fault if, no, if somebody refuses to receive Christ because salvation is of the Lord. Now, if you feel responsible this morning for a loved one, let me lift that burden from you. Salvation is of the Lord. You can't save that loved one. The remit of the church is to seek out, to reach out to the lost. We have a responsibility to our loved ones. Maybe that's what we need to focus on. Not about getting them saved, but what are we doing to bring the word to them, you see? Because we can often pray for them, and we can often not actually speak to them. And it's sometimes easier, you know, it's often easier not to speak to our loved ones about the things of God because it's difficult. But that's what we're called to do, to, to create an anxious thought, if you like. Even though we said we can't, it means that God does. But when we speak the word, the word works in their hearts. We're to sow the word of God upon dead hearts. This heart was once dead, and men spoke to me, and I laughed at them. But see, when they quoted scriptures, I didn't laugh as much. It probed deep within me. But, but we are responsible to sow the word, but we are powerless to save. Amen? We, we listen to that. We, salvation is of the Lord. And all who are saved today understand that, because we were once spiritually dead. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, As for you, church, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But it goes on to say, but God, praise God for the but, but God who is rich in mercy raised you up. Notice the wording, God raised you up. He raised you up from where? The spiritual grave as you were spiritually dead. That's the work of the ministry. It's impossible for us to do this work, but it's not impossible for God. We were all once dead in our sin and we needed brought back to life. Before we come to faith, this is what we were. We were lost in sin, we were dead, we were unresponsive to the things of God. Now, the Greek word for lost is apolium. That's how I pronounce it anyway, apolium. And it speaks of eternal loss. I want you to see what this word means to be lost. This is, our, this is the state of somebody who's not saved. They're in eternal state of destruction and ruin. That's why people who aren't saved often find their lives racked ruin spiritual ruin that was our state now here's here's a real picture what it gives one man said this it gives a picture of somebody who is lost at sea now not just lost as we'll find them tomorrow it means absolutely 100 percent completely lost never to be found again no idea where they are in the in the ocean somewhere that's what it is to be lost according to scriptures their soul is lost it's dead it's unresponsive it can't be helped but god in a moment of time, as the King James Bible put it, quickened us. And you he has quickened. I love that word. Quickened. It's like the, they get the defibrillator. Quickened. Back to life. You're once were dead. All of a sudden. Did you ever hear somebody saying, somebody turned the lights on? He quickened us. And brought us out of our deadness of sin. Titus says this. He saved us. Titus 3.5. Romans 1.6. You are called of God. 2 Timothy 1.9, he who saved us has called us into a holy calling, 
There's what it comes to the work of the Lord's people. What is this holy calling that's given to the church? Well, it's a call to go and to tell people who are unresponsive about the things of God, about the things of God. It's a bit of a challenge. Nonetheless, it's our call to go and tell people their need of Christ. Not try and save them as if we can, but go and reach them and tell them, sow the word of God over their life and into their life. And here's a, here's a key, and we all know this. We don't just tell them their sin problem. We tell them the cure. That's the good news of the gospel. We tell them the cure. Now, here's what Paul says about you this morning, the church. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through you. We speak for Christ when we say, come back. That's our call. That's why it's a holy calling. Because your words, church, are the words of Christ. When we speak the gospel, we tell people where they need Christ. We're actually speaking on behalf of Christ. That's why it's a holy calling. And I want to just say that out this morning, come back to God, is the plea. And maybe there's a man or there's a woman here this morning, and you find yourself, and you know that word's for you, come back to God. That's our, that's our calling, that's our ministry. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never been saved, and that word's for you. You need to come home to the Father and stop hiding. Maybe you are saved many years, but you're away off. The message is always to be reconciled unto the Lord. Come back. We sow the word of God. We water that which has been sown by other faithful servants. But then the scripture says, God and God alone, what? He gives the increase. He saves the soul. That's the importance of knowing our place in the war for souls. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, just one more part. There's, there's always two sides to every uh, war. Some people would say three. But there's two sides, and the church has an enemy. And we have looked now at the work of the Lord, and that is that he saves. But I want to speak to you momentarily on the work of the Lord's people in part, because we spend our life on that, but in part this morning. Now, part of our calling is being on our watch and protecting the work of the ministry. That's the responsibility of us all. So turn with me, please, to Acts, and we want to read this together. Now, Paul says in Ephesians, we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We're dealing with an enemy that is not fleshly. It's spiritual. The enemy has blinded those who aren't yet saved. They can't see God. They can't see salvation. But we have the power and the ministry to speak into that. But we need to protect ourselves from the, the work of the satanic work of the ministry. In Acts 6, the first seven verses, church, we see what scholars call a subtle attack of the enemy on the early church in Jerusalem, a subtle attack of the enemy. And you will see some of this in your own life. You will see some of this throughout your life. But we have to look at one area of this this morning because I want to bring out the need to, be, to have our leaders in this church spiritual. And that includes our pastoral care team. It includes everybody in this church that we are men and women filled with the Holy Spirit and serving God. So let us read together. Now, in those days, there were a number of the disciples were multiplying. The church was growing. And there arose a complaint or a murmuring against the Hebrews and the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God, the preaching of the word, and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
And this then pleased the whole church, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Listen to this now, verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient unto the Lord. Oh, church, there's so much in that. So here we see the Jerusalem church has experienced what the many scholars describe as a satanic attack. Like all attacks, it's subtle. And I'm going to bring it out to you this morning. Like, now, let me just lay the scene. God was moving in her mists. It was a church that was growing. It was a church that was proclaiming the word of God. And what we see is Satan subtly attacks this church. So here's my first, if you're taking notes this morning, he attacks a growing church. Uh, verse 1 of Acts, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, God was adding to the church. There was a work, a work going on in Jerusalem, and there arose a murmuring. Now, can I say, thank God, and this is not something that we're having to deal with at present, and I mean that. Thank the Lord, church. We're not having to deal with a murmuring or a moaning or a complaining in the church. We're excited. We're in a good place, and thank God I can say that confidently here this morning. But nonetheless, I'm using this text to bring out how Satan seeks to distract you. Distract me, distract churches. This murmuring became a distraction. That's the important word, distraction, in the ministry of the church. Satan attacked the place with a spirit of distraction. He placed that among her. Now, in verses 4 and 6, what we see about the Jerusalem, Jerusalem church is that it's a praying church. And when they picked spiritual people, as we read, to help with the demands of the church, they said, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. See, not only was this church growing, but it was a praying church, and both go together. But listen, most importantly, in, in among all that, it was a witnessing church. Because I said about a responsibility, it's not just okay just to, to sit back. We, we have to also pray, but we also have to put steps to our prayers. And that's what we see this church prayed and it witnessed. You see, when we put steps to our, our, our words. And look at verse 7. And when they did this, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And listen to this bit. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. A great many priests. This church was preaching the gospel to their countrymen, and men who were caught up in dead religion, men dressed as priests, men pretending to be holy, came to faith by the preaching of the gospel. And listen, we don't have to dress as priests to pretend to be holy. Before I was saved, I pretended I was holy. It was far from it. Perhaps you're here this morning. You're not saved, and you somewhere pretend to be holy. Listen, take the old priest robes off. Stop pretending, give your life to the Lord Jesus, and be holy. Because he'll make you holy. And what we see here is that church proclaimed, the lost was saved, then Satan tried to distract. I wonder, is that a reality in your life? Get your eyes off the things of God. Now, in what way does the enemy attack the church? Well, he tries to get in and grieve the Holy Spirit. That's the big thing. In various parts of the scripture, we find that the deceiver seeks to sow discord among the brethren. That's a big one. The spirit can't move when there's discord in the house. He sows unrest, criticism, jealousy. Dis 
disaffection. When somebody's sitting in the pews and they detest their leadership, they detest people around them, that's the work of the satanic, you see? That's what that means. It all comes on to the word murmuring in verse 1. The effects of this murmuring in Jerusalem is told to us. God's servants became preoccupied with secondary things. Be careful, Christian, you don't become preoccupied with secondary things because it'll hinder you from doing what God has called you to do, being a great light. And I speak that over Rome Church as well. This distraction caused the work of study and prayer of, and preaching to be neglected, we're told. The one commentator said this, the job of the twelve was to pray, to preach, but they become bogged down by the very important but secondary matter, matter of looking after the needs of groups of people in the church. And actually what we've done this morning, unintentionally, but that's what we've actually done, we've, we've created a group to help us in the work. And here we actually see it. It's to help us that we can, can minister to one another at a good level. But here's the thing. Satan can stir up murmuring among us and therefore distracting us from our holy calling. And maybe your heart this morning is full of bitterness, full of murmuring. And what, what will happen when that takes place? You will stop being used of God. And you'll be out of, the, out of the will of God. You'll be out of zinc with God. But that's what happens. When he gets in here, we get distracted of what we were called to do. And how often and many times I've experienced that in my own life. So let us be mindful of this in our own hearts, that we have a calling. We have a part to play in the local assembly as well. I learned early on in life, and I'm sure many of you have, but in case you haven't, let me just share this with you. I've learned fairly early on that the help of the work of the ministry is much better than to highlight and, highlight and to complain about the ministry. When we put our hand to the plow, God not only helps the ministry, but he changes our own hearts. I found that to be true in my life. We are, we are called, and we all have something to bring to the table. Amen? So thank God we're in a, in a season where God's moving, and the heat is shocking in this church. Is anybody else warm? It's just my age and the shirt and all. It's warm. It is warm. Roasting. Can we open a few windows, please? Because if I fall in this, you'll have crack lifting me, I tell you. 13 stone. 15 stone. Watch you don't fall out there, Angela. So let us, church, listen, be on our guard. The witnessing church, the praying church, the growing church. Here, here's the thing. Why is there so many churches in the country that have stopped witnessing? The enemy's got in. I'm telling you, they've got distracted. Why is there so many churches that have stopped praying? They've got distracted got discouraged. Why has churches stopped growing? The leaders have got distracted. They've stopped seeking. They've stopped witnessing. There's no fire in the house. We need to be witnessing, praying, growing, spirit-filled, and be alert. And thank God the Bible teaches that Satan's influence may hinder, but it's unable to stop the work. Amen? Even though Satan seeks to distract the church in Jerusalem, or he sought to distract her, listen to verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. They didn't get distracted. And the number of the disciples was added greatly in Jerusalem. God was saving all around him when the word was preached and the church was focused. The enemy made us distract, but he's powerless to stop the Lord's work this morning. And God does the saving. And listen, thank God he does the keeping. And I'm going to close with this. 
There's three wee spiritual factors that one commentator brought out, and I'm going to use them this morning just to, to bring in three wee short factors. It's not preachers, I promise you, but listen to these. And this is over our leadership. It's over you this morning. There's three spiritual factors that kept the enemy at bay in Jerusalem and the church. Because there's a strength within that church, the, the enemy didn't succeed. What this means is, sorry, the first one was this. There was spiritual administration. So what this means is that the leaders of the church were spirit-filled men. Yes, they were spirit-filled, and they were also committed to their calling. It's a reminder to all leaders and all churches to remain committed to the work. I don't know about you, but throughout my Christian life, I have been tempted many times to stop serving. I don't think I'm the only one in here. And it's not by coincidence that we're told to be committed. And sometimes we can preach that in a condemning way. You need to be committed. But actually what I'm saying is be careful because it's a spirit at work that will want to take the joy of service away from your life. It'll want to stop you being faithful to the Lord. It'll want to make you step back. That's what I see that means. Because in my life, I often, often, and I know you do, there's this thing comes over you think, you know, I could do without this. It's hard. It's, you know, but what, what he's saying is, look, remain committed. Don't fall for the works of the enemy. And, and then it says to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we do that? One of the greatest ways to be filled with the Holy Spirit is spend time in his presence and more likely together. I know there's people come through this door some nights at prayer meetings. They were probably half backslidden in their own spirit. And they went out through the door bouncing in the spirit, you know? It's a reminder also that spirit-filled men and women ought to be allowed, only to be allowed to serve an office in church. Men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit and, and seeking God. Look what it says in verse 3. It's an example for us. Pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this work. Spirit-filled leaders keep Satan attack at bay and, dis and discord at bay. Second one is this spiritual factor in the church in Jerusalem is this, that the leaders were to be committed to intercessory prayer. The only way of defeating Satan in our life is by prayer in all its forms. And what we see in verse 4 is that these leaders had a ministry of intercessory prayer. It says, but we will devote ourselves. We will devote ourselves to prayer and in the ministry of the word. This means they were praying for the lost, they were praying for the saved, they were praying in the Spirit as the Spirit led. Now, intercessory prayer is, you know, praying for our company men, our friends and our work colleagues and our family is a responsibility of all believers, but especially that of church leaders. Praying leaders keeps the enemy out and, listen, keeps unity in. Amen? Keeps unity in. When, when leaders fall short of what the Bible asks them to be, the enemy comes through the door, it's absolute chaos within the house, and that's a mess. And that's what we see, the opposite of here, praying leaders kept the enemy out and unity in the house. Now lastly, the commentator highlights this, that these leaders <clears throat> had a holy demonstration. I love that demonstration. <clears throat> Not the demonstration from the north now, the demonstration of the holiness. Look at Acts 6 and 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. A face of an angel. Now, 
It's safe to say that not every believer referred to is, has the face of an angel. Not every Christian is an angel, in case you're in any way deceived. But Stephen looked like an angel. He had the face of an angel. He had a holy demonstration. His life was lived right. He knew the Lord and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And there is a way that we can live that we actually can be, not angels in and of itself, but we can be standing out. And we see this. And even though there's some believers or professing believers are more like the other type of the angel, we just need to worry about our part of the vineyard, our house, our tent, our tent, our church. Leaders, now I'm speaking this over our own leaders and I'm aware they're in the, in the room, because I am also a leader and I speak that over us, that leaders are to have a holy demonstration in their service. And if you're part of the work and you're a leader, by default, you lead by example. That's just by default. If you serve in this church on any level, you are an example. If you're part of the children's work, them children would glean off you and they will learn off you. I guarantee you. But a holy demonstration that Stephen had in his, he had a countenance that the Lord could be seen. And spirit-filled leaders carry something of God. But I want to take that further. The church who is spirit-filled, carries something of God with them. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Even when they were stoning him to death, they recognized that he, he, he was humble. They recognized that he, he had something of God. But their sinfulness, their wickedness of their heart still continued to, to stone, to kill the man. But listen, it's not just church leaders that ought to have a holy demonstration before the world, but all believers are to have a holy demonstration before the Lord. Amen. And I'm going to visit, finish with one verse. You'll be glad to know. We're talking about holy demonstration. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 19. And I've mentioned briefly that some professing believers are more like the other type of angel. But let me just tell you something that we all need to know, ought to know, and probably do know, but let me remind you nonetheless. The Lord knows who is his. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this. The Lord knows those who are his. He's not deceived by the priest's suit. He doesn't need you to act holy. He just needs you to live for him. And it says this. Let everyone who names the name of Christ. What? Depart from iniquity. Have a holy demonstration. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Have a holy demonstration. We're going to turn this heat off, guys. Next week, you'll be freezing. Next week, you might be freezing, actually. <laughs> we're going to be having church next Sunday morning in the tent. And because it's a busy week, we're just going to do that communion service, a wee bit about it, worship, a wee thought. And I mean a wee thought. I promise you, a wee thought. And we're just going to have a, a nice time of worship and celebrate communion. Um, so, yeah, there will be heaters, not as hot as this. So, Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Father, for your work in all of this. That salvation belongs to the Lord. Lord, we pray you would lift that burden from any of us this morning that carry it. But, Lord, that we would see our calling, a holy calling. That, Lord, we are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, a people who carry with them something of God, a holy demonstration. But, Lord, that in all that we would seek to do for you, Lord, that you would, as Paul said, Lord, give us boldness, God, to speak of Christ. Give us a spirit of boldness, God. And Father, if there's things not right in our life, 
Lord, as a great shepherd, Lord, would you, God, guide us. Lord, restore us and bring us back into the fold this morning, we pray. We thank you, Lord God, for the church that's praying. We thank you, Lord God, for the church that's witnessing. And Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for the church that's growing. But Father, we pray above all things that every church in this county would be found sowing. So Lord, we pray over every church, God, every pulpit, Lord, every, Lord, pew, Lord, in the whole of Ireland. And Lord, we ask this morning as your people, Lord, would you, Lord, would you not only start a fire here, but Lord, we pray you would start a fire, Lord, right throughout this island, God. Father, I'm sick of hearing statistics. Lord, how every other island, the UK included, Lord, has been, Lord, sat on fire with the gospel over the years, but yet Ireland seemed to miss out. But Lord, we, Lord, know your presence to be real with us here today, God. We haven't missed out. Lord, we pray that, Lord God, you would set a fire, Lord, each of us here this morning, God. That, Lord, perhaps our, our, our countenance has been, Lord, 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 broken of late, God. Lord, we pray that you would touch our countenance. Lord, maybe our lives haven't been so great of late, God. But, Lord, you are the restorer of all things, Lord, all things. God, I pray you would restore lives this morning. Lord, restore that which needs to be restored, that, Lord, we each would have, Lord, a holy demonstration. But, Lord, above all things, be glorified in us and through us. And, Lord, we speak into the common mission. Lord, may you do something wonderful, Lord, through us. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, it's not our responsibility to say that's over to you. But, Lord, what we seek to do is to sow the word. And, Lord, would you help us in that? Would you help us in that? Lord, would you, Lord, season every word with the Holy Spirit? Lord, even though it's an, a mere word, Lord, may you, may you make it a powerful tool of righteousness for your glory. Amen.